And now we will read the sermon passage from Mark 6, 45 through 56. And they're found in your Bibles uh, in front of you in the chairs on uh, page 704. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because all, or because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, Pastor Matt. Get to look at this marvelous text. In Advent, we remember Jesus Christ's first coming, and a lot of the scriptures we often read are about his birth. Uh, but we're taking this time as we walk through the Gospel of Mark to see Jesus in the middle of his ministry on the earth. And we're going to see what kind of man he was, and well, also how uh, we're to respond to a God like this. Notice what, vif, uh, what it says there at the end of verse 51 and the beginning of 52. The scene on the lake. It says, They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. So what do loaves and wind have to do with each other? According to this passage, a lot. Somehow bread and breezes interconnect, and that it didn't connect for the disciples was their downfall. Wind and loaves, loaves and wind, bread and breezes, breezes and bread. What connects them in this story? What connects them in our lives? A friend of mine comes to mind. I'll call her Tiffany. Uh, Tiffany's, li <clears throat> Tiffany's life resembles a bit of a teeter-totter. High moments of exhilaration mixed with low moments of sorrow. Tiffany experienced a tough uh, season in high school and young adult life, but then she married a, a Christian man. What a gift. She saw God's provision. She saw God's mercy. But later in, in that marriage, Tiffany felt constrained by God's commands related to marriage and being a wife. She ran off with another man, and things didn't go well there. And the teeter-totter continued. On many occasions, she's run to God and experienced his forgiveness. She's dedicated herself to reading the Bible and walking in obedience with him. And then she struggles to trust God. And she runs off after another journey. 
like the disciples on the lake, she gets caught in a windstorm, and like the disciples, she forgets about the bread. I want to look at this text kind of in three stages, kind of quickly, somewhat quickly, and then at the end kind of have like a principle or a proposition on what this text is supposed to mean for our lives. So I want to look at this three stages. Stage number one for the disciples and really for us, but stage one for the disciples is a breeze comes up against them. A breeze comes up against Jesus' disciples. Look at back at verse 45. It says, immediately... Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. So immediately from what? Well, uh, Randy did a wonderful job last week explaining the context right before this incident. And it was this marvelous, miraculous feeding of 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish. And immediately after this, not just after, well, look how it ended actually. It says in verse 43, Uh, 42, it says, this great mass ate, they're satisfied. Verse 43 says, the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. So they, everyone's ate, they've satisfied, they collect the remnants, and there's 12 baskets left over. And immediately Jesus says, all right, what I want you to do is I want you to get in the boat and go on ahead of me to Bethsaida. I'm going to dismiss the crowd. And then he leaves them, and he goes up on a mountainside to pray. Verse 47, it says, later that night, the boat was still in the middle of the lake. And Jesus was alone on land. And it says, he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. A breeze comes up against Jesus' disciples. Now, I want you to take notice here that uh, maybe... This doesn't happen often in the lives of the disciples, but it's occurring here. They're obeying Jesus, right? This is great. Jesus says, get in the boat and go. They get in the boat and go. But then the breeze hits. They're doing what Jesus says. They're doing exactly what he told them to do. And now they're in the middle of a lake. If my timeline is accurate based on some of the descriptions, they're like, they only had to travel like about a mile by water. And four to five hours later, they're still in the middle of the lake. Now, if you're a professional fisherman and you failed to travel that much distance in four to five hours, I don't know how you feel about yourself at the moment. I would think not well. <laughs> but these are, Jesus, Jesus gives them a command, they obey, and then a breeze. They're doing what Jesus has told them to do, and it feels like it's going nowhere. A breeze comes up against Jesus' disciples. Um, Some of you know this, but a friend of ours um, just recently found out that after going through a saga of breast cancer, um, about two years ago, just found out now that what was put in her body is actually cancerous, and now She needs another surgery for it to come out. She's walked by faith. She's clung to the Lord. She's been marked by prayer. And now this. A breeze comes up against Jesus' disciples. Matthew 14, 24 recounts the same incidents, and it describes 
the, 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 the wind as a, it says that they were buffeted by waves because the wind was against it. Uh, an Israelite's mind, when they think about water and wind, it's often pictured as chaos or even evil. They're in this boat, and they're going nowhere, even though they're doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. Now, that is normal Christian life. God gives us commands, and even when you do exactly what Jesus has asked you to do, a breeze comes up. And a storm hits. And, it, and you go nowhere. Jesus in John 16.33 tells us, In this world you will face trial. The Apostle Peter gives an even graver warning in 1 Peter 5.8 when he warns that the devil, our enemy, he prowls around like a lying, lion seeking to devour We face breezes, we face lions, we face trouble, we face cancer, we face surgeries, we face parenting challenges, we face our peers. A breeze comes up against Jesus' disciples. If there's any application, it's just take the warning. Like If a breeze is hitting your life Right now, you are just like the disciples in the boat, obeying their Lord and going nowhere. Stage two. So stage one, a breeze comes up against Jesus' disciples. Stage two, a breeze stirs up irrational fears. Look how the text continues in the middle of 48. Uh, the disciples are straining at the oars because the wind... Oh, it says verse, verse 48 is great. He saw the disciples straining at the oars. Think about that. They've been on the, they were supposed to be traveling. Jesus is praying. He could still see them. <laughs> right, that's good. How far have they traveled? Not far. He sees the winds against them, and shortly before dawn, he goes out to them walking on the lake. And he was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost, and they cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Now, the reason why I call this an irrational fear is these are good, upstanding Israelite Jews. They know their Bibles. There's no ghosts. There's one God and Lord. When you die, you face judgment. There's no ghosts floating. They know that. If you were to sit down with them and say, do you believe in ghosts? They would, they'd whip out their theology. No no ghosts. But when you're caught in a wind storm, if you're caught in a breeze, all sorts of irrational fears erupt. Um, something, something's challenging in your life. It's really hard. And you hear this subtle voice, God hates me. Right, that's a ra- that's a, it's not true, but it feels true. Or, or God doesn't love me, or God's out to get me. You see, fear pierces like a dagger. What fear does is it takes doubt, and then it brings in despair. Fear 
cripples. Fear produces images of destruction. Fear sucks away all hope. Fear destroys. Fear dominates. dominates. Fear says there's no way out. Fear says you're going to drown. A breeze stirs up irrational fears. I see fear hit Christians a lot in maybe late high school and early college. In elementary school or middle school, a young person falls deeply in love with Jesus. They sense the weight of their sin. They sense the weight of judgment and hell. They hear the good news that Jesus Christ has died for sinners, and they trust Christ, and they begin to walk with him, and they even see some hope, and they see joy in, in trusting God and obeying him. But then high school starts, or your first college class begins, and then you find out being a Christian is not popular. You'll be called a bigot. And, and, and then fear grips because you start looking at your life and you maybe feel like a hypocrite. And all of a sudden you begin to forget all of God's previous acts of love and grace. All we see are the winds of culture blowing against the ways of God. And fear creates, it stirs up irrational fears. Fear hits couples in marriage. You go through a trial, you go through a breeze, you go through a storm in your marriage, and the next thing you say is, He's controlling me. She's demanding too much. And each begin to fear that they're in some sort of loveless marriage and the winds of doubt blow and they doubt God's call to love and persist. Fear, fear steer, steals away all of the memories that were good and all you see are the bad. Fear makes us forget early romance. Fear makes us forget vows. A breeze comes up and it stirs up irrational fears. You see fear hit people right when they're on the edge of becoming followers of Christ. They, they've come to believe what Scripture says. They've come to believe that the, those early apostles saw a resurrected Christ three days after he had been crucified, dead, and buried. But then the, then the fears strike and you, you start having doubts. And start ignoring the reasons that you had had to, to trust Christ and follow him. And fear makes you want the world's applause rather than God's forgiveness. We forget the, the breadcrumbs that God has put in our lives to show us who he is and what he has done. Fear steals away the hope of forgiveness and change in near life, new life. A breeze stirs up irrational fears. Stage three. So stage one, a fear comes up against Jesus' disciples. Stage two, a breeze stirs up irrational fears. Stage three, a breeze is no match for the bread of life. A breeze is no match for the bread of life. Jesus is walking on the water toward them. And it says at the middle of 50, verse 50, immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down, and they were completely amazed. For they had not understood about the lows. Their hearts were hardened. 
In the Gospel of John's account of the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus tries to help them realize that what he did was not there to feed their bellies. That's not why Jesus performed the miracle of 5,000. Oh, you were hungry, that's why, uh, that's why I came. I came to feed your bellies. No, he said, this incident of the feeding of the 5,000 with miraculous bread is to point to me, Jesus says, because I am the bread of life. And the one who comes to me and believes in me will have hungers satisfied that no bread could ever touch. Now, this bread of life is walking on the water. (laughs) And that breeze doesn't stop him. In fact, when he gets in the boat, he stops the breeze because a breeze is no match for the bread of life. Jesus is not just Lord of the earth and Lord of food. He's Lord of the seas and he's Lord of the storms. The breeze is no match for the bread of life. Some of you who are part of this church family uh, get the, the emails from one of our missionaries named Larry Couch. And you've maybe been following this little saga that he's trying to get into Greece to do missions work. And he has got denied time and time again to get a long-term visa. Now, if I were Larry, I would cut my losses and just give up. Right? That's a big breeze, Larry. Quit sending emails about prayer. But Larry Couch is not cut from the cloth that I'm cut from because that man believes that a breeze is no match for the bread of life. And that's why he found out at the end of this week they're actually going to give him a visa after pounding on the God, the God's heart for that stinking visa for so long. I love that. He saw a breeze and wasn't afraid. I saw the breeze and I thought, just give up, dude. <laughs> right? Just panic. It's a ghost. You can't handle this. The man prays and the man receives. Because a breeze is no match for the bread of life. So just ask, what are the breezes that you're hitting today? I mean, they come, so your breeze could be depression. There is a long line of history of godly saints who face depression. Charles Spurgeon was a man of great sorrow and depression. His wife was basically a, 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 a bedridden her whole life. He knew what it was to suffer. Maybe your breeze is an addiction that you have been trying to fight for decades. Maybe your breeze is a difficult relationship. God wants you to know that whatever the breeze is, it's no match for the bread of life. Those are the three stages. What is the point of the story, though? This is what I think the point of the story is. When we forget about the bread, we'll panic in the breeze. When we forget about the bread, we will panic in the breeze. If the disciples would have understood that Jesus was the bread of life, that he was the Lord of heaven and earth and the Lord of the sea, they wouldn't have panicked in the breeze. They would have said, well, let's keep praying. Jesus will show up eventually. When we forget about the bread, we will panic in the breeze. 
I've shared some of you with some of you that I had I took the week of Thanksgiving off because I wanted to work on a project and spend time with my family. You know what my breeze was? The plumber wouldn't call me back. I was a wreck. And out of my unbelief and my doubt and my frustration, my kids suffered. My wife suffered. My marriage suffered. My blood pressure suffered. It was a breeze. A breeze. The guy didn't call me back. He didn't show up. It was a breeze. I still had a great Thanksgiving meal. Nothing blew up in my demolition. Like, things were fine in this breeze hit and I didn't remember the bread I didn't remember God's faithfulness I didn't remember who Christ was I didn't remember that breezes hit God's people I was a wreck when we forget about the breeze or excuse me when we we forget about the bread we will panic in the breeze but here's the hope when we remember the bread we'll stay poised in the breeze I would say over the last couple of years, that has been my favorite character quality of Jesus. The man has poise. In every incident, he trusts his father. When his betrayers come with armed guards, he walks to them. When Pilate Ask questions. He doesn't feel pressured to talk when he doesn't want to talk. He's quiet when he wants to be quiet. He talks when he wants to talk because the man has poise because he trusts his father. When we remember the bread, we'll stay poised in the breeze. I mean, poise is another word for faith. Confidence in who God is and what he can accomplish no matter how hard the wind blows just turn in your bibles to maybe a familiar passage for some of you but hebrews chapter 11 it's a little later in the new testament describes or you could say defines what faith is what is what is the kind of faithful poise that could mark our lives It says in verse 1, it says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Now faith, faith is this confidence. It has this sure hope that God will show up. If you read through the rest of the book of Hebrews chapter 11, I encourage you to do so this week. It has has vignette after vignette of these different saints of God who have believed him in the midst of the hardest moments. And what you see about faith in these people is they have faith to withstand all sorts of things. In faith, Noah had this reverent fear, and he obeyed God. Abraham, he looked forward to a city from God. It says Sarah received power from God. Abraham believed that God was able to raise the dead. Jacob had faith to bless his sons. Moses 
had faith to say no to the fleeting pleasures of sin. He sought a reward even through reproach. He was not manipulated or controlled by Pharaoh's anger, but he believed God and he persisted. They believed God and they did their work. And now we have this greater opportunity, having seen Jesus on the move, the bread of life on the move, if we remember him, if we see him, if we trust him, we will have poise in the midst of the breeze. But what if we doubt? You know, in Matthew chapter 14, Matthew records this similar incident, and he has a little extra material that before Jesus got into the boat, Peter looked out and said, hey, is that you, Jesus? <laughs> Jesus says, yep, come on out, right? It says, Peter walked on the water until he took his eyes off Jesus and he saw the waves. Took his eyes off Jesus, he saw the waves, and then he went splash. Well, not quite splash. Jesus called him for it all the way in. Now, let's give Peter some credit. He's the only one who got to walk on water. He had poise while he had his eyes on Jesus. Earlier in the book of Hebrews, though, there's a warning, though, that can happen. I think it's important when we think about having this kind of poise, having this kind of faith, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13 say this. It says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Remember the disciples? Their hearts were hardened. They didn't understand what had happened with the bread. So when the breeze hit, they panicked. Later, this warning now in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, is a warning to brothers and sisters, to Christians, to say, sin wants to deceive you. It wants to produce doubt. It wants you to turn away from trusting in God. I read this morning a quote that says, when we openly revolt against God through our sin, God can withdraw the gift of faith. And when we believe God, we trust God, he delivers. But when we doubt him and we choose to sin, it shrivels faith. God does not want that. Let me give just three quick thoughts on what it means to remember the bread so that we can stay poised in the breeze. One is, maybe something you hear a lot, but I hope that you hear it afresh, and it's this. We need to feed our faith. We need to feed our faith by knowing God's Word. Or we could put it this way, feed your knowledge of the bread of life by reading the Word of life. We need to read God's Word so that we can know what is true and right about God. We need to see these incidences of Jesus dealing with a little shortage of bread and a little strong wind, neither of which were a problem for Jesus. So that helps us to know that when we feel short on bread or heavy on the breeze, we'll be okay. 
If you don't feed your mind with that, you will feed it with something else. The wrong script. Scripts that deceive, that tell the wrong story. And so instead of reading the world's scripts, we read Holy Scripture, and it should feed our knowledge of the bread of life. But closely tied to that, we feed, but faith is like a muscle, and you strengthen your faith through the habit of obedience. Peter didn't know how powerful Jesus was until he stepped on the water. He has an understanding of God's providence and power that none of the disciples understand because he took a step. This is why Jesus talked about at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he, he describes two types of people. He says, the wise man is who hear the word, hears the words of Jesus and puts them into practice. That person is like one who built their house on the rock so that when the winds blow and the waves beat against that house, it doesn't fall. But he warns that the foolish person is the one who hears God's word, Jesus' instruction, but doesn't put them into practice. And without putting it into practice, those same wind blows, the same waves strike, and that house falls. And great is its fall. And so we want to feed the faith by reading God's word, but we're going to strengthen the faith by engaging in the habit of obedience. I wonder this week, whether it was through reading the word or through interactions with Christians or through prayer or just through the Holy Spirit convicting your heart, is there something you're supposed to obey that you've been, we'll use the term waiting on? <laughs> if you want to know that that bread is good, if you want to know that that breeze can easily be stopped, step out in faith. You'll never know without the step. Let me close, though, with where the Gospel of Mark is going and where this, even this text is pointing. It's to you need to settle your faith on Christ alone. Settle your hopes solely on the bread of life. As the Gospel of Mark is developing, we're beginning to see more and more about who this Jesus is. He heals the sick. He stands up against authorities. He raises a little girl from the dead. He feeds a vast multitude with just a, a happy meal. He stops a breeze in a moment. The Gospel of Mark is driving that this is the Son of God. And we have to believe in Him and believe in Him alone. If we forget about the bread, we'll panic in the breeze. In Mark 6, Jesus is just settling nerves. Right? He's settling little, little fears. It tells us a bit about His character and His power, but Jesus came to earth with a far greater mission, to face a far greater storm the storm of God's judgment against sin and against sinners. That's the greater storm. And then the Bible says that Jesus took that judgment on himself on the cross. 
He took the full extent of God's wind against wickedness. The bread of life didn't come to fill bellies, but to save souls. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. That whoever believes in him, those who have settled and put their faith on Christ alone, can know that they'll be saved. And when you trust in the bread of life for what he has done on the cross, a greater fear is removed. There is no fear of God's judgment. There will not be punishment for your sin. He died so that you wouldn't have to die. And three days later, he rose again. That's a triumph over death. It's a confirmation that what he accomplished is now sealed and secured to all who believe in him. Romans 8.32 says this, He, God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? If we remember the bread, we'll stay poised in the breeze. What does that look for you this week? How will you feed your faith? How will you strengthen your faith? At the end of the day, do you, have you settled your faith on the one true bread of life that those who come to him, believe in him, will have eternal life? That is good news. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, I would just ask that you would give us faith. Strengthen our faith, renew our faith, give us fresh faith, give us faith for the first time to see who Jesus truly is. I pray for those who are facing stiff storms in their life right now where it just feels like maybe there's a breeze coming in a million directions. I pray that they would remember the bread. They remember that God is faithful. Remember that God provides. Remember that God is always on time. He's never late. And that God loves them. That if there are any of those lies, those irrational fears come, that God doesn't love them, or God hates me, or God wants to ruin my life, they would know that the cross of Jesus Christ is our hope. That even the Son of God suffered. Even the Son of God died. That was God's good plan to bring about a greater resurrection, a greater victory. And so, God, we know that you work out good to those who believe in you, those who have been called according to your purpose. Thanks be to God for this marvelous gift. In Jesus' name, amen.